Hello and welcome to Con for Tea with ERSC. I am your host, Brian Young, and today on a special episode, I'm joined by a guest speaker, Mike McPhee. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, no problem, Brian. Good to be here. Just a reminder that the thoughts and opinions expressed on this show are ours alone and do not necessarily represent the views of Cisco or their affiliates. And while we are systems engineers employed by Cisco, recommendations and suggestions made on this show should not be considered as replacements for Cisco TAC or Cisco Certified Partners advice. Please consult with these resources before making any major changes to your environment. Mike, thanks again for joining us today. We're going to be discussing um, the differences between a UTM box and a next-gen firewall, uh, both places, uh, both of which Cisco does have a, a product and a play in. Uh, just trying to determine today um, with our conversation where where these products best fit and what their use cases are. Um, so really kind of starting, I guess, uh, from the beginning here, uh, we really just kind of go over what we have as far as offerings. On the next-gen firewall side, we have our full-fledged Cisco Firepower, uh, which is from our acquisition of SourceFire. This is a full on-prem device that does layers, you know, two through seven next-gen firewall, IPS, uh, along with a couple other bells and whistles, which we'll get into in more detail. Our second offering that kind of fits more in the UTM space is going to be our Meraki MX portfolio. Um, and this is uh, this is going to have some of the, the same capabilities in terms of um, having the layer two through seven firewall rules, IPS, etc. cetera. Um, it's going to have a different method of management. Um, so really just want to kind of go through um, the different pieces here. And I guess we can start really with management. Uh, Mike, if you want to start with uh, the firepower side of things, um, what would be the main course of management for a firepower device? Yeah, I mean, uh, really for firepower, we have a couple of options. And so for customers who need the up-armored approach that firepower next-gen firewall provides, but might not necessarily have any use for the advanced intelligence feeds and correlation capabilities, you know, the deep forensics that it can provide access to, uh, you might use something like Firepower Device Manager. And so that's a non-box management capability. It's capable of managing as either a single box or an HA pair. <clears throat> Obviously, that's not going to scale very well. Um, right. So if you've got more than a couple of boxes and you've got any interest whatsoever in tying it together with you know, ready-made integrations with any of the rest of the Cisco security portfolio or what have you, you're going to want to use the, the uh, out-of-box manager we call Firepower Management Center. And so FMC, as it's uh, more commonly known, right, offers a lot of capability inside just that box, but it also provides a ton of integration with external systems, whether they're Cisco or otherwise. So if you're looking to integrate with vulnerability management tools or, you know, bring in and assimilate threat intelligence feeds, you know, sticks or taxi feeds, or you're going to make use of you know, heavy-duty back-end integration with Identity Services Engine as part of a rapid threat containment sort of approach, then you're going to want to use something like FMC. So that's that's really, you know, the dividing line between the two. Um, F, you know, it's kind of funny we're talking about, right, Meraki versus Firepower. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people look at Firepower Device Manager and say it, it, it looks like we've Meraki-fied, um, you know, Firepower. And, and that's pretty, you know, that's pretty close. Maybe it's because we chose green as one of the prevailing colors in the design <laughs> language. I don't, I don't know. But, um, it's a nice when, green. It's, it's but, soft on the eyes. Yeah, it, it, yeah, exactly. But it, it does, it does go a long ways towards making, 
um, the the more advanced capabilities that firepower can pr provide more accessible okay. to our customers and i i sometimes think we get caught up in trying to choose between meraki and firepower but we're talking about fmc and the complexity it introduces to right. some of our customers and we kind of miss that there's this uh sweet spot in the middle uh, for people who need you know the more advanced security capabilities in the box but don't necessarily need all of that integration and and uh, visibility that the firepower management center provides no it makes makes sense and you know from a from a management and, and deployment kind of setup right um it's going to be different firepower versus meraki right because meraki is going to be hosted in the cloud um there is no on-prem management box that you have to deploy whether virtual or physical for meraki uh, whereas with Firepower, the Firepower Management Center, there is going to be either a physical or, or virtual appliance that you're going to want to deploy as, as part of that FMC. Um, and, and these are some of the things that also have to be taken into account as far as, you know, how am I going to get that telemetry data from those Firepower sensors, those fire, firewall devices, back to the management center, right? Am I going over a WAN link? How many sites am I managing? What kind of throughput am I looking at? Um, these are all sizing questions that, during the discovery process, working with your sales team, um, they're going to be able to go through and kind of help determine, you know, what's going to be the, the best course of action there. Um, whereas on the Meraki side, it's a bit simpler, right? Because every box is going to talk back to the cloud management center. All that telemetry, telemetry data is going to go up to the cloud. As long as it has an internet connection, you're pretty much good to go. Uh, and this definitely makes, um, this can make the Meraki solution much more palatable for organizations that have many locations and maybe a small IT staff, or they don't necessarily have uh, very big <clears throat> pipelines between their locations that they that they don't want to have to worry about saturating or or routing all that information through. Um, so definitely, you know, one of those key factors of going whether we want to go, you know, one way or the other. Um, well, I think so it's. You, I th I, yeah, I'm sorry to to hop in there, but. I think it was a much more cut and dry thing when we only had the two options, right? Between Meraki, you know, Meraki is cloud and Firepower is on-prem. Uh, but we are getting, you know, we are starting to blur the lines uh, thanks to a lot of feedback from customers. And so while Meraki is always going to be a cloud-managed solution, and it's going to always be presented through that unified dashboard that you can manage your entire stack of, of Meraki capabilities, with Firepower, we have additional options. You know, we're starting to see more people take a look at Cisco Defense Orchestrator uh, to use kind of a cloud-managed, you know, provisioning tool that can help configure uh, Firepower devices out there. And we're also starting to see, um, you know, we're, we're getting towards parity now with a lot of our enterprise class security appliances. Uh, mm -hmm. We're getting to a point where we've got feature parity between the on-prem, whether it's virtual or physical, and the cloud-hosted capability. So both Firepower as a sensor, you know, the mm -hmm. Firepower Threat Defense sensor, um, as well as Firepower Management Center are now something that you can host in the cloud. So it really comes down to how much of that care and feeding does the customer really want to do? Right. And, and you know, that that's kind of what's going to really help push us one way or the other, you know, Towards, towards one or the other. With, with Meraki, it's always cloud. You have no choice. We have some industries and some verticals where they really want on-prem or they don't want to trust in a software as a service delivered management or they need more of those, you know, <laughs> nerd knobs, right? So right. some more of that fine-grained control. Those are the cases where we might, 
actually lean towards um, you know firepower. But there are a lot of other things, and I'm sure we'll get into that here. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the the hybrid and the cloud approach too, because we do have a lot of customers that are moving their workloads off to the cloud, and um, you know having the ability to offer. Uh, both Firepower and Meraki uh, virtual MXs in the cloud environments such as uh, AWS and Azure um, are going to be, uh, you know, definitely taken into account when choosing a, an overall security architecture solution. Right, right. So, uh, Mike, we touched upon uh, threat feeds. Uh, I think you mentioned uh, Taxi and um, and the other one there. Um, can we go into a little bit more detail on kind of what the differences are between uh, what kind of threat feeds we can ingest uh, with a Cisco Firepower device versus a Meraki device? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Really, it just comes down to it's one or or many. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with uh, you know, we're blessed at Cisco to have Cisco Telos mm-hmm. backing up all of our products, Meraki included, and so you know they do a fantastic job. Number two you know, largest security intelligence organization in the world next to the NSA. So they're doing a lot of that hard work for us, right? They're, they're taking in and ingesting all this information from all these disparate sources and types and, and points within the network, bringing that together to present a de-conflicted correlated view. It, It gives us good situational awareness globally as to what's going on. And then we can use that in all of our products, uh, to, to, to provide, you know, real-time responses to up-and-coming threats. And so how does that impact the Meraki MX? Well, the MX can receive Talos threat intelligence feeds by mm-hmm. way of the Snort engine that it, that it you know, um, subscribes to. So if you're, if you're using the Meraki MX and you turn on the intrusion detection capabilities, it's, it's actually bringing in signature feeds from Talos, and, and that's something that you're able to pull in. Um, you're not able to do anything to customize those feeds. Right. So again, if if you think it's something you need fine grained control, you need to look at a you need to look at a firepower based solution. But if you want to benefit from that intelligence but not worry about it, mm-hmm. then you know Meraki's fantastic. And the same thing, you know, it also impacts us in the advanced malware protection side of things. You know, advanced malware protection on the Meraki MX is a lookup service. It's not really doing anything. Uh, at the moment, that's going to combine it with the rest of the AMP Unity picture, which is that that concept, that that architecture we have in place, where AMP for endpoints shares information with, you know, email and web security vectors and your next-gen firewall vectors and all that stuff to provide you with a unified image uh, mm-hmm. or a, a fully deconflicted image of what's going on as files traverse your environment. But maybe you don't need that, and and maybe you're a you know an organization that that feels that, um, you know, it's it's more appropriate to use tools that are easy to manage and that you've, you know, got mu- much less opportunity to uh, to hose up or or do something wrong with. Right. And, that the, and, and you, you know, you're happy with that. I mean, at the end of the day, security is all about risk and exposure and, and managing all of that, you know, assessing the risk and addressing the risk. Um, and if, if Meraki MX gives you that, then great. Now, on the flip side of that, if you're an organization that needs to subscribe to, you know, any number of threat intelligence capabilities outside, maybe it's mandated by a, a higher power, maybe, you know, maybe your regulatory body or some sort of, um, you know, organization that you partner with requires you to monitor a particular feed. 
Well, that's something that the threat intelligence director capabilities inside of Firepower Management Center can easily accommodate, and we don't have an equivalent to that in the Meraki MX. Um, if you've got on-prem capabilities, uh, you know, visibility tools or anything that's generating indicators of compromise, the Meraki MX does not ingest those uh, natively. It, you know, that's all processed through Talos, and we receive that Talos signature feed. In Firepower, you have the ability to pull that in for both from both clouds, you know, stuff like Threat Quotient or Threat Connect or FireEye. You know, we've got a lot of frenemies or co you know, coopetition, as I like to call them, that uh, provide feeds that we're able to ingest. And then we've got ecosystem partners like your vulnerability managers, Rapid7, Tenable, you know, right. Qualys, uh, QRadar, you know, Sims, all that stuff that we're able to ingest and bring into firepower. And we just don't have allowances for that inside Meraki because that's not what Meraki's there for. It's not there to be, you know, the Swiss army knife does everything for everybody, super ultimate, you know, super customizable because that's where people can get tripped up. That's where it can overwhelm. And it really comes down to what the capabilities of your staff are and, and whether that's the appropriate way to manage your risk. Right. Now that makes, that makes sense. sense? Yeah, no, definitely. Because at the end of the day, um, Meraki, the Meraki solution is going to be something that is going to be easier to manage, easier to deploy. It's going to fit most of those use cases, but there's going to be those those outliers, those stragglers that um, they need. Um, I'll pick on this topic, even though it's opening a bag of worms um, or a can of worms, is uh, the SSL decryption, right? Um, this is there are organizations and entities that do have some requirements for SSL decryption mm -hmm. uh, that right now on the MX we cannot do. Um, going forward is going to be more difficult to do with things like HSTS, TLS 1.3, uh, stuff like that. Um, but, you know, there are some organizations that have those requirements and, you know, we can do that on Firepower. Some of the larger boxes even have some hardware acceleration uh, features in there to be able to uh, reduce the overhead uh, in decrypting and repackaging um, that data. So, again, these are these are all the kind of things that you know um, you and I as uh, as SCs when we're talking to our customers and going through that discovery process. These are the kind of questions we're asking. Um, you know, what are your needs? What are the what are the concerns you have? Uh, and what is your goal? Right? Are, are you looking to have uh, as many nerd knobs as possible? Are you looking to do all this? You know, all these crazy features? You want to ingest third party feeds? Or at the end of the day, are you primarily looking for an easy to manage box that can scale out to hundreds or even thousands of locations with a small IT budget. And you really just kind of need that checkbox that says, I have a next generation firewall that has an IPS engine, an AMP engine for, for malicious files going through that box and layer seven firewall rules. Yeah. And if, if that's all you need, then, you know, Meraki will most likely fit that use case. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll add to this as well. Uh, we we talked about the IPS and the snort signatures. <clears throat> um, you know, it's it's funny. I've been uh, with Cisco now here for about three years, and uh, in the beginning, uh, I always used to talk about how one of the the greatest uh, touts of fame that we have with uh, our our intrusion prevention and and malware detection is we have a very low time to detection. Our average time to detection, I think, right now is three and a half hours, whereas the industry average is around a hundred days, and. Uh, I remember back, you know, a couple of years ago talking about this, and I think the the timing was more around eight and a half hours. And I said, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Customer, the the likelihood of you hitting hit with a zero day is is you know very minimal. But in case you ever did, 
uh, then you know you can be rest assured that we have some of the lowest time to detection rates out there. Well, then WannaCry happened, and uh, <laughs> I don't say that anymore. Uh, instead, <laughs> I talk specifically about how, um, specifically to WannaCry, and WannaCry is very, WannaCry is unique in the way that it propagated in the the speed at which it just hit the hit the internet. Um, but with WannaCry, for example, the uh, the timeline is really going back to when um, Microsoft released their security bulletin on March 14th, identifying um, a vulnerability and releasing a patch uh, for uh, the SMB vulnerability. That same day, Talos had released a snort signature that was ingested by both Firepower and Meraki. So on that same day that bulletin came out about that vulnerability, we had a snort rule in place to identify and, you know, if the rule turned on, uh, block that type of vulnerability from going through your MX or your, your firewall. Fast forward a month later, Shadow Brokers releases a set of vulnerabilities uh, that they supposedly sourced through the NSA, Eternal Blue, Double Pulsar. 11 days after that, we had snort signatures, three of them in place, specifically against those vulnerabilities, specifically against those exploits. And... The campaign actually started uh, about two and a half weeks after that. So the the overlying the, the the overarching message here is that our boxes were protected from WannaCry two and a half weeks before WannaCry even happened, which is you know which is big. So you know it's it's time to detection is is a big piece of it. Having an organization like Talos uh, from a, a threat intelligence organization to back up your products. Um, as you said before, second only to NSA in terms of the amount of information gathering that we have because of the fact that we have devices all over the world in different types of categories, right? Email security, firewall, um, endpoint protection, uh, cloud-based protection, because we can see all those different um, vectors of attack and correlate that information together. That's what allows us to really put the story together uh, and, and offer the, the best and breed protection. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. I mean, I, I think... I think there there should be a disclaimer on any security discussion, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we can we can sell you all kinds of products, but if you're not doing a few things to meet us halfway, I mean, really, you're just it's it's a matter of time before something's going to happen. And so, while right. it's awesome to be backed up by products that are receiving feeds from Talos and all that stuff, you still have you know it doesn't let you off the hook for things that are just good cybersecurity hygiene, you know, update, yep. uh, keep your password um, process in, in place, make sure you're continually changing them and, and, and doing some cool things. I think uh, that, uh, tele, you know, Beers with Telos guys had a really good metaphor that uh, our chief privacy officer used on, on her last episode. And I can't use it. it you know, it's not, not something that uh, we're going to get away with here, but um, you, you want to change them. You want to keep them very, complex you want to have a good strategy and you, you don't want to share them right um but you also need to worry about patching and and that smb you know flaw patch there microsoft patched it because they got advanced wind of what was in that shadow brokers leak and right. that's that's i mean they didn't know it was a vulnerability until they saw that they were given the opportunity you know to to pay a ransom or what have you just like everybody else uh, in order to see that disclosure or keep it from going public, and they elected instead to fix it. 
But when nobody does that, that's a problem. And so, well, you know, it's great that we were backing up our customers. I want to ensure our customers don't think that we're, you know, this isn't corporate retreat. Don't just fall backwards because we're going to catch you. You got to do your, you know, you got to wear your helmet. (laughs) You got, you know, wear your safety gear, you know, use proper, uh, you know, proper cyber hygiene here. And and that can go a long ways towards helping eliminate risks. Um, But yeah, I mean, to your point, both products as, as well as the rest of the portfolio received great feeds and intel from that. And, and that certainly can't be denied. So it really comes down to how much more detail you need and right. how many, you know, how many adjustments you think you're going to make. And, um, you know, there's other functions, too, that come into play. And I, I get a feeling you're going to want to talk about those here. Yeah, definitely. So some of the other benefits of, of running a UTM box, right, a single kind of a single box solution, as much as I, I may hate that term, <laughs> um, of using, you know, the Meraki portfolio, right, um, along with the security benefits of Meraki running uh, the, the the firewall and what we call the advanced security license on the on the MX, um, there's a few other things we can do with that box and with the within the Meraki uh, ecosystem beyond just security, right? So mm-hmm. within the Meraki portfolio, we have uh, Meraki switches, we have Meraki wireless, which is how Meraki started. Um, we have some cameras, uh, security cameras. There's, there's quite a bit of, of products that can all be controlled by the Meraki dashboard, right? The, the, the dashboard yep. in the cloud, uh, that management center there. Um, so, if you, again, we, we, we mentioned this a couple times, but if you are a, a small IT staff, if you have a lot of locations, um, this can be extremely beneficial. Um, on top of that, one of the additional features that we offer within the MX device, um, built in at no additional cost or license, is the ability to do SD-WAN. Um, now, SD-WAN, you know, definition, software-defined WAN, the idea behind it is you have two internet connections, a third tertiary if you want it for cellular. You create your policies and you say, I want this type of traffic to use link one unless it falls out of outside of this parameter, then fail over to link two. Mm-hmm. That's that's basically the, the you know, the under the underlying message there. Uh, without having to go in and manually tweak things all the time and, and, and constantly wondering about, you know, what's my latency, what's my jitter. Define your policies, have the box monitor it. If it falls outside of that scope, take appropriate action. When it comes back in, switch back. Yeah, we call Pre- that the intent. Yeah, it's the intent-based networking, right? We're Exactly. Telling, instead of micromanaging the, the heck out of the network, we instead say, hey, here's kind of what we want to happen. Here's where our priorities are. You know, to de- deploy a policy that enforces that for us, right? So that's Now, that's really not something that we're going to be able to do on, on the firepower boxes uh, as they exist today, right? There's not going to be no. an We're, we're going to have site-to-site capabilities, but <clears throat> it's primarily going to be this site, this site, keep it alive. That's That's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, since the beginning of time with the ASAs and, and you know, VPN concentrators before, we see a lot of high-volume VPN stuff happen with Firepower or, or with ASA uh, code, which is still, by the way, a viable platform for people mm-hmm. who need that, that feature set and, and uh, you know, might not be able to make the move to Firepower Threat Defense yet. But with both of those, especially on site to site, they were pretty limited. You know, it right. was, uh, you know, it wasn't until recently that um, policy-based routing made it in, and they still don't do things like, you know, virtual tunnel interfaces or dynamic, you know, VTIs or anything like that. And so it's always been that the 
that routing platform is where it was at when it came to site to site. And, um, you know, from an SD-WAN perspective, you're not going to see any of that functionality move into Firepower. Firepower is great uh, if you need it to do things like BGP or, or OSPF or, or God, God forbid, RIP, right? It's, it's available. It's available and, it, and it's capable of doing that. But that's more of a, a means by which to allow it to fit where other firewalls have fit it, to support that sort of routing or if you need to use it as an ISP facing device to allow it to, you know, to truly interoperate using BGP. Um, but for any of your really, you know, intricate or, or more elegant solutions to WAN, uh, that's you know, in, in Cisco's history, always been where the routers were, or that's the yeah. ISRs or ASRs hangout. And so what's really novel about what the Meraki MX has done is that it, it doesn't bring along a lot of that legacy. It doesn't need to. You know, most people who are deploying Meraki MXs are deploying them everywhere. And and so what that allows them to do is it gives them the freedom to, to develop their own control plane, you know, provide their own underlay overlay combination to deliver similar features and so there you know the meraki sd wan allows them to do that is it is it interoperable with the viptela based sd wan no um, but then again that's that gets that has to feed into your calculus as to which solution you choose and does it interoperate with third-party devices well well no not not directly um you know there are ways to do ipsec site-to-site vpns but when we talk WAN, we're typically talking about managing all aspects of it, all sites that are involved. And when we talk site to site for extranets for other people's networks, that's more of a B2B, you know, business to business type of site to site link. So, um, you know, that's something that needs to you know, work into everybody's understanding here and, and help them make a decision between one solution or the other. Um, you know, I don't see firepower ever really, <laughs> and and you know, this is the I'm not I, I do not speak for Cisco, but it just doesn't make sense. I mean, it, it it's no. it's not something. You know, I've still got people that uh, want firepower to terminate GRE tunnels. Well, it's a different thing altogether. Yeah. And um, you know, there's a that's a loaded, that's a loaded request with a, a lot of other considerations. That at the end of the day, firepower's focus is security. Right. The MX has many. You know, priority security is one of them, but, you know, delivering WAN, that's another. Acting as that head end, that's another. And, you know, that that comes into it as well. No, all all, all good points. I think think ultimately, um, you know, we've seen a lot of success with the the Meraki portfolio, especially in terms of SD-WAN customers that want to get off of expensive MPLS lines and just want to, you know, throw uh, two high bandwidth uh, pipelines into their MX box and, um, you know, go over the Internet. There's obviously no QoS when you're going over the Internet. But for the most part, because um, Internet speeds have significantly dropped in price and you can get pretty high bandwidth at, at a low cost, um, you know, we, we had uh, one organization uh, down here in my territory. They had 18 locations. Uh, every location had an MPLS link. And, uh they switched everything over from a single MPLS link to dual internet connections through two separate providers, one, you know, the cable company, one, the phone uh, company. And they even got the cellular modems for all 18, uh, 18 locations. And they've been running, you know, just fine. They've had some, we've had some winter storms here the past couple of years where I think they had three locations, uh, both internet connections go down 
and they all failed over to 4G and they did not lose anything. They didn't lose any uh, any business because their ERP system happens to be in their headquarters and their branch locations all have to communicate over that WAN link for all point of sale. So, you know, it was a great success for, story for them. They're saving a ton of money uh, in that regard and uh, they're very happy with the solution. Um, so it, it, it can definitely work, um, you know, in that regard. And as you said, when we start getting into um, some of the, the nerd knob functions, right, BGP, IP peering, stuff like that, um, Meraki may not may not fit there. When you're talking about um, integrating with, you know, third, third-party SD-WAN like Viptela, we're not going to have that, that feature set there. Um, but again, well, it's about it, weighing out. Yeah, and just to be fair, right, Viptela is is a closed system too. It doesn't right. interoperate with anybody else's SD-WAN, you're, you know, You'll be hard pressed to find anything, and it, it comes down to you know every SD WAN solution, Meraki and and the Viptela based C Edge and V Edge approach we use in the enterprise side of things. They all have their own you know secret sauce and that own yep. com, you know their own combination of both the encapsulation and underlay and and the you know control plane management plane stuff. Um, but you know, we we like to show the differentiation as nerd knobs, but it's even more fundamental than that at times. Uh, it might be as simple as is: do you need multi, you know, multi enclave or, or multi level, you know, security involved? And uh, I don't want to use MLS right because that's that's a loaded term. But you might have somebody who needs to support multiple VRFs or, or multiple um, logical separations of traffic over that same WAN, and that's a case where it might lead you towards you know the the viptela code the ios code um but if you don't need that you know we have plenty of people to your point i've got some great retail customers that use meraki mx's and support pci you know accredited networks in a you know compliant fashion that's that's great it's it's when it it's when you need more complexity that you make the move up towards something more flexible and um, you know, yeah, it's a discussion of MX versus firepower on the on the surface, but it's an it's an architectural discussion too. Right. And so, um, and the, and the fun part about architectures is a lot of different ways to solve the problem. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so yeah. you, I mean, you know, you can go super, you know, whole hog and and get crazy with it, or you can step back and say, well, you know, rather than have a really complex solution, why don't we have a much simpler question, and and approach it with that. And so, you know, that a lot of times we jump through all kinds of hoops and do some really unnatural things to accommodate some really poor yeah, assumptions at the Is beginning. Is that unnatural or unholy? I, I didn't quite catch that. <laughs> I said unnatural. I, I'm trying to stay very agnostic here, <laughs> but but it's true, right? I mean, um, and it can get it can get pretty religious when people yeah. get attached to this idea that oh my gosh, I need this, and we see it with. We see it in firepower versus old ASA stuff. We got people yeah. who are on multi-context in their ASAs for really good reasons. And then we have a lot of people that aren't. They use the multi-context to address a shortcoming in the architecture approach. And so what we end up doing is, is we end up seeing people, um, you know, really trying to harmonize what they can do with the new stuff mm-hmm. versus all that all that bad habits, all the baggage, all the inertia that they brought with them. And so, you know, I would just say that uh, with all of these, I mean, anytime you're doing a refresh or you're making a migration to a new approach, it's a great opportunity to evaluate you know, what are we really trying to do here? Right. And and what's, you know, what's my question? What's the solution space? And then and think of think about it fresh because a lot of things change. 
We got yep. people that are still trying to carry 10, 20 years worth of network, um, you know, legacy with them, and it just doesn't work. So, all all very good points. I think, um, and I think with an organization as large as Cisco, right? This is this is where um, this is where our roles come in here is to be able to help the customers navigate those waters, right? And you know, just like I've been saying pretty much in every show now. You know, please reach out to your account team. This is what we're here for. Uh, we're there to help you, uh, you as a customer navigate through these waters and ask those those questions and, and come up with the correct answers. Um, being an, or as again, being an organization as big as Cisco, we see we we've seen it all. <laughs> we we really. I, I mean, I've I have seen some some good, bad, and some ugly designs. Um, and and as you said, it's some of it is. You know they're holding on to something that maybe they should consider letting go, or they're doing something uh, because they've been doing it for that time all this you know the whole time. I, I've got one customer that uh, doesn't believe in VLANs, and that's that's fine. Um, so are they, you know, are they a trust sec customer? <laughs> I'm I'm not getting into that at all. As I, I'm, I'm going to be as uh, <laughs> I'm going to be as uh, off off of that as as, as possible. Um, but no, that's I think you know the, the driving point here again. Um, definitely reach out with your account team. Uh, let's ask those questions. Let's come to that uh, conclusion together on what's going to be the better fit for you, uh, and and overall, um, you know, figure out what the the best security approach is going to be. Security is a uh, Mike and I have the uh, the benefit of being able to talk about a really fun topic that is ever changing and is almost constantly in the news now. So it can be a, it can be a, a great conversation to have. Um, and to that, Mike, I think we're going to wrap things up here. Was there anything, any final thoughts on your end, anything uh, uh, that you wanted to, to, to share? Yeah, I think just, you know, the one last point and maybe something that we uh, we skipped right by, but I think is really important is just to make sure that you understand what your real business needs are and, mm. um, you know, look at the constraints available within the environment. Um you know, sometimes those constraints can simplify things and it comes down sometimes to what do you already have? Right. And, you know, if you're a Meraki customer and you're excited about that and and um, that works for you, then there's a great chance you're going to be extremely successful with the MX-based model. But mm-hmm. if you're a customer that's got, you know, an existing footprint of, um, you know, AMP or ThreatGrid or, you know, ICE or something like that, then, then maybe the firepower makes sense. But, you know, it's a great opportunity for everybody to step back, look at what they're really scared of, what the risks are they're trying to address, and, you know, whether maybe, um, you know, they should just uh, open up to, to other ideas because there might be some pretty novel ways of taking care of things with either solution. So, but no, appreciate it, man. Thanks no, for thank having you, me Mike. I, I really appreciate the time, and uh, thank you for listening to ConfT with your SE. If you like the show, please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues and giving us a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Show notes for this episode can be found on our website at conft.show. That's C-O-N-F-T dot S-H-O-W. Thanks again, and stay safe out there, and don't forget to save that config.